Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about retirement readiness, strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth so that you get the most from life with the money you do have. Are you on track? John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. How are you tracking towards your financial goals in 2022? Well, hey everyone, it's John Chapman. And today I want to talk about some helpful tips so that you can stay focused on achieving your financial goals as efficiently as possible this year. Now, admittedly, I do have a presumption in this that you've actually taken the time to, to have financial goals. Maybe you've, you've sat down and articulated them. Maybe you've written them down. And I know there's two different types of people out there. Maybe you're the type of person that is thinking ahead. You like to have a plan. Maybe November of last year, you were already thinking about what your financial goals were going to be for this year, and you had written them down. And if that's you, kudos to you. Now, maybe you're the type of person that isn't quite sure what your financial goals should be. You know, you should have some, you know, you want to work towards something in the future, but it's just not quite clear. Well, this episode is going to be really helpful because it's going to give you some structure and some framework and help you to be able to better articulate what your goals are and then what your action steps should be to achieve them. As a side note plug within this, this is one of the reasons why I am such a big fan of something called a one-page financial plan, a one-page financial plan. And, and the reason for this is because it helps to reduce the noise and clutter. And that's part of my job as a financial planner to work with clients to help make sure they know what, what goals they have and then what's one or two tasks they can work on to achieve them this year and ignore everything else. A 50-page financial plan or lots of other mumbo jumbo is simply just a distraction. And the best way for you to have the confidence and the clarity is just to have a couple of bullet point steps and uh, everything else is noise. Now, as a reminder, let's go back to basics on goals. They should be SMART goals, which is an acronym that stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. So we'll use that as a framework as part of our conversation today. And I want to provide a, a case study example. And let's introduce Karen and Carl, Karen and Carl to this situation, just to help work through some of these examples. Let's assume today that Karen and Carl are age 52. So they're in their early 50s. Let's assume both of them are working. They've got household income of about 250000 Building on top of that, let's also assume they have about $300,000 left on their mortgage. They have about a million dollars in their combined retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, Roths, IRAs. And then last, they have about 500000 in their non-retirement brokerage accounts. This is from just stock they've accumulated over the years, some RSUs from previous companies. So in total, their liquid net worth is about one and a half million dollars with a little bit of debt still on their mortgage that they plan to pay off. Now, this is a common couple, a common example of some folks that I get to work with that I love working with. And when I meet with folks like Karen and Carl, what I'll hear from them when I ask them about what their financial goals are for the year, they'd say something like, I want to have some financial independence and have work optional. Their second goal would be something like, I want to pay less in taxes this year. And then a third goal would be something like, 
I want to make sure my investments are as working as hard as possible for me. And I also don't want to lose anything as possible. <laughs> and I laugh at these in part because on, on one hand, these are totally legitimate statements that most families would articulate. And, and I could probably even get beside behind myself. Where this starts to break down, though, are these are not smart goals. They're, they're, they're not time bound. They're not measurable. They're not specific enough. And so part of my job and part of what we'll talk about today is how to take these three somewhat legitimate asks and desires and, and turn them into something more specific. So um, let's dive into the first one. Let's talk about financial independence. And I just want to also make a side note, and I sort of joke about this, that the word retirement seems to be part of the retirement of the baby boomer generation. It was people that we're going to work at the same job for 30 years, retire at 65, then go hit the golf course, never to work again. And as obviously COVID has changed working environments and, and the, the, the next generation, the oldest cohort of the Gen X generation is starting to think about retirement maybe in 10 years from now, the concepts are different. And that looks more like financial independence. It looks more like work optional. It looks more like maybe taking a six months, one year off. Maybe it looks like having some income from their portfolio and some part-time hobby job that plays the rest of the bills. So we're going to use this financial independence idea. And again, Karen and Carl have come saying they want some financial independence, but let's help give them some more clarity. To, to make this really a, a smart goal, let's say something like to achieve $150,000 of income from their investments by age 62. So I'll say that again. So the, the, the more clear goal would be something like in 10 years from now at age 62, we'd like to have $150,000 be generated from our investments to supplement whatever our lifestyle looks like then. It could be working part-time, it could be taking some time off, it could be starting social security early, whatever that looks like. Now, what I love about this is it's giving us a time frame, 10 years. It's giving us a dollar amount of income to work on. And this now can start to focus us on what should Karen and Carl's steps be today? And you might be thinking, I'm not sure what their steps would be. And, and, and where, what, what this looks like is actually a full drawn out financial plan. And that could be an episode in and of itself. But what I would encourage you and someone like Karen and Carl to think about is, just focus on the savings targets, what you need to be putting into 401ks and brokerage accounts, what you need to be saving each pay period and then investing. And, and that's going to be added to your portfolio. That's going to grow over the next 10 years. And that's going to get to some number. And, and that's what's going to then eventually be there to pay you that 150000 later. And in this situation, it can actually be boiled all the way down to saving about 15% of gross income. And in, in this example, we said about 250000 of combined household income. So 15% is just under $40,000. And on the one hand, it sounds like, gosh, 40000 is a lot. But, but breaking it down further, just think, if Karen and Carl are both working and they're contributing to their 401k, they're contributing maybe just you know 6% or 10% to their 401k and getting company match, you can see that they can each contribute anywhere between fifteen dollars to $20,000 each with a little company match, and they're going to get to that $40,000 target. Now, imagine if you had the goal of having financial independence, and then you put the clarity to say, I want 10 years from now having $150,000. And really all I need to do today is make sure that I'm saving 
40,000 as a family or just saving 15% of our combined household income into brokerage accounts, 401ks. This is something we can get behind. This is an exciting, actionable, uh, measurable goal that, that puts you in the driver's seat. And yes, market fluctuations are going to go up and down, but at least you know that you're accomplishing your side of the bargain and saving what you need to. And that can help get you to financial independence in the future. So uh, that's exciting. Let's keep going on this and keep putting some more clarity around these three goals. Let's assume Karen and Carl also said they want to they want to pay less in taxes. Again, a very understandable and legitimate thing. And um, where I'd go to put some more structure on this with my clients would actually to be to pull out their tax return. And an obvious disclaimer here, I'm not a tax advisor. I'm not a CPA. I just know enough to be dangerous. And in practice, what this really looks like is having a joint meeting, a team meeting between me, the clients, and their tax advisor, and having an open dialogue so that we can get a, a professional. But, but since I'm a nerd in this, and since I love it, and I, I just happen to have a, a 1040 tax return opened on my screen, I know the exact areas that I can encourage you to look at you know, what I often hear too is that people will say something like, I want to pay less in taxes. And their only reference for that is last year, they, they would say something like, well, I, I got only $2,000 back, or I had to pay $10,000 and I'm not sure why. And I just don't want to have to pay that $10,000 this year. Well, that's, that's a little too murky. And so how we can get some more clarity on that is to Dust off your most recent tax return. Since most folks don't do this, look at page one and two of your 1040. Let's start with box nine. Box nine is going to show us your total amount of income from your work or any other distributions or rental properties or stocks. It's going to show you your total income, box nine. Box 12A is going to show you what your deductions were. So subtracting from your income, this might be your standard deduction, or it might be an itemized deduction if you had lots of things to put on. Then we'll look at box 15, which shows you your taxable income. If we flip to page two at the very top, we'll look at box 16. This says the amount of taxes you're required to pay federally. This is the amount that you're required to pay. And then the last thing is box 25A shows you what, what you would have already paid and withheld in taxes from your pay stub. So Karen and Carl, let's assume they said, ah, oh, I, I don't I want to pay less taxes this year. And they had to owe $10,000 last year in tax. And they're frustrated. They're not sure why. I'd go through an example like this with them and their tax advisor, and I'd, I'd go straight to box 25A to get a sense of what they were already withholding in their deductions and their payroll tax deductions on their pay stub at work and try to see how does that compare with what they are required to pay in taxes in box 16. And my hunch most of the time is that there's not enough withholdings happening from the, the employer. And so maybe it's as simple as saying, I have you know, a deductions of, of two or three on my payroll, and I need to change that to zero or one. So meaning you've got more taxes being withheld, so you're going to have to owe less at the end of the year. I get that people say it's not good to you know, give the government a free loan. You shouldn't, you shouldn't get a large tax return or whatever, but there's so much psychology in this. Even if Karen and Carl don't pay technically any less in taxes in box 16. If they withhold more from their paychecks, it might be psychologically less damaging because they're, they're doing a, a little bit more along the way. And so what would have been $10,000 as a surprise, maybe now is evened out and they owe nothing or they owe a little bit or they get a tiny refund.
So that's a way of taking a vague goal of paying less in taxes and making it much more clear, much more actionable. All you need to do is go back into your benefits portal or talk to your HR manager, change your deductions, your withholdings, and uh, maybe consider having a little bit more withheld on the pay stub. Just one example of that. All right, let's round this out with the third goal, talking about making your investments work harder for you. Again, a totally legitimate thing, wanting to make sure your investments work as hard as possible. But what that starts to opens up is a conversation about risk tolerance. So let's break this down a little bit further and put some context. Again, Karen and Carl, we talked about in our example, they've got about 1.5 million about a million dollars in retirement accounts between their 401ks, their traditional and their Roths, about $500,000 in company stocks, RSUs, and, and non-retirement accounts. And my first question, which is a hard one to answer admittedly, would be something more like, let's consider the market was down and let's consider your $1.5 million fell. No, no one likes to think about this, but it is reality. Would there be, Karen and Carl, a dollar amount that you'd say to yourself, I, I, I don't feel comfortable anymore. I'm, I'm starting to uh, want to you know, pull the plug or have a, have a buffer zone. Let's just assume for this example that Karen and Carl say, I can't stand, I couldn't stand seeing more than $300,000 of a drop down to $1.2 million. Let's just assume that's our example today. Okay, let's work, work with that. So assuming that, that $300,000 drop, that's their limit. That's their buffered zone that they want to work around. Then we can think about how to invest in stocks and bonds in order to protect them, but also offer some growth for the future. I want to throw in some really interesting data points. We look at market history over lots of years, lots of decades. We know some decent stats, which are every one year, the market on average falls around 14%. So, you know, sometime in January, we start off strong. Sometime during the year, it falls. And on average, it'll fall 14%. And then later, it'll recover. And most of the time, it recovers all that losses and then moves, moves higher. So we know that 14% is pretty common. We also know that one out of every four years, so one out of every four years, the market will drop more than 20% more than 20%. And then the last, we know that about one out of every seven years, the market will drop more than 30%. Okay, so using that as some data points, $300,000 of a loss, that represents about 20% drop for Karen and Carl. So they could say something like, I, I want to make sure that even if the market drops by a lot, I'm going to be safe. If the market drops 30%, I, I, I really don't want to go below my $1.2 million threshold then I'd come back and suggest something like, consider investing about a million dollars in stocks, more growth oriented. And that way, if the market were to drop 30%, that'd be $300,000, hopefully no more than that, but we also don't know. And then you could invest $500,000 in bonds or something safer. So you'd have almost this two third, one third split, two thirds in growth oriented, hoping that $1 million continues to grow and compound over a long period of time but you've got a large buffer zone, the $500,000. And you could think that might go towards just buffering stock markets, downturns that could go towards paying you income in retirement, being part of that $150,000 per year goal sometimes in the future. However you like to think about it, you've got now something so much more concrete to say, I know my downside, one out of every seven years, the market's gonna be rough. 
I know that I've got enough stock in there to grow, but I've got some buffer in there so that I'm limiting my losses. And, and this might be a way to mutually come together and have some confidence to know that your investments are working as hard as you as possible, but you've got a plan in place if things get a little choppy. Hey, we have just talked about some jam-packed information. Let me pause right here and recap some of this and then send you off on your way. I encourage you again to take the time to be intentional about your financial goals in 2022. Consider making them SMART goals, which are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. Consider focusing on just one action step within each of your goals. If you're not sure how to put together a financial plan like this and you want some help, then I really encourage you to reach out to a financial planner you trust, or you can contact me directly. You can email me at john.chapman at wpwm.com or message me through LinkedIn or Twitter. And with that, I wish you all the best in 2022. Happy investing. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.